Welcome back to Revelation On Demand Podcast, a podcast interested in what the Bible has to say about our lives today. Join us as we see what revelations we find today. I'm your host, J.D. Myers, and today I'm joined as usual by Mr. Chris Hess. How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great, my friend. Uh, you know, life is good. Lord's good. Uh, I've really been enjoying my past few weeks, and I it's a blessing. I can recognize it, and it's something I'm accepting full-heartedly. Because I know that the uh, Lord's really looking out for me. Uh, I know quite a few people who are going through struggles right now. So, you know, my hand and heart goes out to them uh, in this time that we, that some a personal philosophy I apply, not to spin off into a tangent, is that when you've been blessed, make sure to bless others. And, you know, when you find your standing, when you find your feet, you know, a firm place to stand, definitely help others up to, you know, their own place where they can stay afoot. Yeah, I got you. It's pretty good on my end here. We're uh, just winding up for a little vacation. I've got five days off and we're going to take off on Sunday and go to celebrate our daughter's fifth, five-year-old birthday, which we do with every kid. We go down to, uh, what is that called? The Great Wolf Lodge here in Colorado. They have a blast oh, doing that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm. Yeah, there's there's quite a few people who are struggling out there. So I, I just whenever I hear about people struggling, let you know that I I pray for you right away. So when I when I hear about people's struggles, you know. So a little bit of worldly news. You hear about these vaccine passports that they're talking about making mandatory in the United States. Uh huh. Well, me or the audience, I hope that um, it doesn't become something that is real or comes to true fruition, though, yeah. uh, based off of what I was able to gather, and uh, now that I rem- remember vaguely from the news, as much as I didn't want to hear about it, is these basically these ID cards, which would yeah. function as like a, a double ID card, another form of government identification. Or yeah. citizen identification, excuse me. Uh, in order to go from state to state, you need a certain card that says, "Yes, I've been vaccinated." Yeah, and heck, they were talking about letting like businesses use it. So that that echoes the the mark of the beast, as we've talked about before. You know, I don't I don't know if it qualifies like completely, but uh, I, I just know that we've talked about that. When we were talking about the episodes about the Mark of the Beast, I think I brought that up, that this could be something akin to that. I don't think it's the end times Mark of the Beast. I think that's going to be something way more serious. But Well, I mean, if we're going to reflect on any similarity from the Mark yeah. of the Beast to these, yeah. uh, to these, so to speak, ID cards, is you wouldn't be able to complete a transaction. You wouldn't be able to achieve any personal gains without this well, thing right if this well, comes to yeah. the point where it is you wouldn't be able to do it in person you know uh especially if you're not vaccinated but i think it's it's more likely it's just going to be a nuisance if it even gets passed i think most people are kind of done with stuff like this you know absolutely yeah it would be but discouraging to their to their efforts of the vaccine thing, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So, you you wrote here uh, 
Trump 2024. You want to tell the audience what, what you're thinking on that? Well, we were both collaborating on this a little while back. Uh, we've both had busy weeks. So, yes. So, essentially, um, similar to the former president's uh, presidential tours that he would partake in, if you want to say that, or similar to his campaign efforts, would be a better way to put it. Uh, he's actually going to be going on a tour this year all across the United States where he's being interviewed by Bill O'Reilly and they're going to be asking pertinent, important questions uh, pertaining to his, his, his history in the White House, what exactly went down according to Donald Trump and what... Sure. Yeah, they're going to be asking audience questions, but he also, uh, Bill O'Reilly, is going to probe certain, like, very pertinent, important questions. Like, okay, well, why didn't this get done? What happened to you if this happened? Uh, uh, what exactly was your true standpoint on COVID? And take that however you will. That's the way it's going to be formatted. And it's his new, so to speak, is it his new campaign tour? Or is it his way of, uh, depending on how you look at him, of getting info out to the people. Uh, It'll be pretty interesting what we hear, what comes out of that, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, just as a blanket statement, he has to re-earn my vote. I've never been a huge fan of Trump. I like what he did, but as far as, you know, just the way he handled the end of the last election, he's going to have to earn my vote again. Uh, not saying that's going to be hard. I'm just saying I'm not going to just get on the Trump train sort of thing. I would prefer well, to see someone else run for president as the Republicans. I mean, either way, since I'm a moderate, I would have liked to see a new person for either side. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that being said, <laughs> I don't I don't want to put too much in the pocket of uh, the former president or even the active president or, you know, either side, but this is going to be a thing that's going to provide us with more information as to what Trump is allowed, so to speak, to tell the American people of what exactly happened in his eyes. Huh, I gotcha. Yeah. So what's, what's this, uh, what's the scuttlebutt on uh, this birthing people instead of mothers thing like that just oh, oh, okay. that, that rubs me the wrong way right off the bat <laughs> so according to uh my resources for this were mostly on uh the Tucker Carlson show uh-huh. but basically uh they're trying to in- instill a new pronoun instead of the term mother or mothers because we're starting to find that Washington really wants to cancel basic essential terms like mother yeah. father yeah. uh to accommodate for all kinds of people take that as you will well they're they came up with a new one and it was outside washington and it got introduced to washington and now washington is, is trying to validate it and it's called birthing people uh-huh. right yeah. so if you've given birth if you're going to give birth to someone you're a birthing person you're not uh-huh. a mother a parent, father, none of that, because they said they wanted to, um, in an interview with how that term was being introduced to Washington before it's like seriously in the works to become valid. 
as a valid yeah. pronoun that they could use legally. Uh, um, yeah, they said it. Well, there are multiple varying gender associations nowadays that um, you'll never hear Washington or you know the mass majority of the media try to discourage or differentiate from. It's you know a man can be however he wants to be. A woman could be out she wants to be, et cetera. Yeah. That's what their message is. But basically they were trying to accommodate for all these people who could potentially give birth or be part of the birthing process and call them birthing uh-huh. people. Uh-huh. So, so they're, they're pretty much saying uh, men can give birth now too. Is that, cause here's, what? here's the biblical understanding of, of men and women. Men cannot birth children. You can talk all you want about like gender identity and stuff like that. That has nothing to do with the science of it. You need two X chromosome to have a womb and be capable of birthing a child. And even if we figure out how to put a womb inside of a man or a biological man, you will still not be a man in my eyes. Like, it's it's ridiculous. They're rebelling against God's creation and his created order. So that's that's the way I see it. <laughs> I call it association because in all yeah. honesty that that's what you're associating with. Is it in your standpoint you'd say is it a true identity to one of these individuals to be yeah. the opposite gender somewhere in between, one they yeah. define for themselves, one that was defined for them by uh society? Technically, mm-hmm. I mean, physically, scientifically, you yeah. do make your standpoint where it's, it's I mean, no, you, you, you're, when you boil it down to your microbiology. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. All right. And then a teaser, listener. We are going to soon be having something I'm going to call special episodes where we have a guest come on, talk about some of their stuff maybe teach us a little bit about what they think happens in the end times in prophecy or other subjects therein of spiritual significance, such as what we normally talk about. So look, look forward soon. I'm thinking about once a month, we're going to have a guest episode like this. So you're going to get more revelation on demand. And that's always a good thing. I think. All right. Shall we get into what happened last episode since we drew the first section a little long today? Uh, Ten minutes? No, we've gone longer than that. Uh, Go ahead. We uh, we, we did a whole half episode on the worldly news. So, what happened last episode? (laughs) So, we got three parables down. We had one parable called the Parable of the Ten Virgins. The second one called Talents of Gold. And third called the sheep and goats. So which one was your favorite first off? Uh, personally, I think the talents one is one of my favorite, but I kind of have a business mind. So maybe that's just, you know, my natural whims of, of uh, investment talking there. Which one was yours? Oh, definitely the same one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, Well, just to give you a brief summary on each of these uh, Parable of the Ten Virgins, we went over uh, these varying kinds of women, actually, and their different derivatives into uh, 
not microbiological derivatives, <laughs> but they're <laughs> spiritual and uh, personal derivatives as to what where they exactly were showing what to certain men and what exactly wow. that would mean to that man, to their master, etc. Yeah, and they they were. Uh waiting on the bridegroom which is supposed to be Christ's second coming so right, five exactly. of them were not prepared and five of them were and the five that were not prepared got locked out of the wedding so yes and overall i mean we they they split the group into you know two halves but what i meant by i guess in a metaphorical or even philosophical way is like this is how these women behaved this is how the other women behaved who ended up providing the most merit yeah. were the patient ones that were collected and evaluated and the yeah. ones that prepared themselves, right? Not yeah. the others who just dove out into the dark and expected to use, uh, you know, their minds to magically end up at this destination that they would have had to well prepare for. And uh, some with their lamps, again, we talked about lamps being trimmed in Revelation. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> Uh, the Talents of Gold. Talents of Gold was interesting. You had three varying servants that all were given a certain amount of gold yeah. to their ma- uh, from their master, excuse me, and they were each told to invest it. Two of them invested it handsomely, you know, overall, one yeah. less than the other. But this third servant decided to bury it in spite of his master. And he yeah. told him he had no trust in him. This is what he gets. You know, you'll reap what you sow. You'll find it somewhere someday. But this <laughs> is, you know, and uh, the master didn't take it lightly. Yeah. And Jesus said, this is pretty much what you would expect from anyone else. Right. Yeah. So why would no, you invest and... your time, effort into that sort of thing when it's a waste? Yeah. Yeah. And, and on that is the... The third servant, the wicked servant, was also, you know, afraid of the master being so shrewd and and reap and reaping where he didn't sow. So he part of that could have been spite, part of that could have been fear, you know, like not wanting to to let the master down. But that's that's that kind of if you have a life light, don't hide it under a bushel idea. Uh huh. Well, we were kind of split down the middle, and we came to a consensus that was a bit of. Uh, debatably was it spite, but also, yeah. in my opinion, it was more out of spite. And in, well, it could have been, yeah. It could have been. I mean, that's up for speculation. I think that anything that the Lord has ever told us is up for speculation. I mean, there's, it's always cut clear as to what you should be doing mm-hmm. as, you know, as a result of that. Though to listen to him and how it applies to you personally or how you get your own personal um interpretation of it is very important too. And yeah, see the the common thread I see in between all three of these parables is that it's talking about followers, it's talking about servants, it's talking about sheep and goats. It's it's talking about people who are at least claimed to be Christian. They may not be very Christian in their actions, but they at least claim, claim to be Christian. So this is talking about sorting out of the body of Christ at the end times. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. So the sheeps and the goats. Sheeps, that's wrong. <laughs> and the sheeple. The uh, sheeple. That, that was random of both of us. Yes, the sheep <laughs> and goats. And actually, uh, 
that that lack of a better way of putting it, um, that term sheeple is definitely used in a different context. But if you combine the word sheep and people, you get sheeple. And that's what actually we're going to go with for this summary of this parable. <laughs> Bear with me. Uh, so there was a shepherd, right? He had sheep and he had goats. Well, the goats were treated as the sinners and the sheep were treated as those who believe those are without you know those are who had dedicated themselves to the devout right and or even just generally you know not necessarily a weaker person but someone that is separate from the true nature of evil and that's where you get the goats so lord allocated how exactly these two are dealt with and why exactly this shepherd or in traditional shepherding even uh the goats would not be intertwined with the sheep yeah, they, he separates the sheep and the goat too. Like in in if he's if you take it just literally, it's talking about how shepherds would literally separate sheep and goats because goats need more protection, they need more shelter, they need more care. But this in this context is talking about the sinners being separated from the the faithful, so, right? And to I, I don't know if you do this. And I'm sure you've heard it a million times. I, I don't know why you wouldn't know this, but, uh, you know, often we refer to the Lord as our shepherd, too. Yeah. So, yeah. in a way, this is him reflecting on the way that he would treat no one else with extra, you know, the sheep and goats equally, but the goats are going to need that extra, you know, that extra push to be to be a sheep someday probably not yeah, but yeah. to at least be taken care of well enough so that they can redeem themselves maybe so today we're continuing on with our Olivet uh, study and we're going to be going into Mark chapter 13 where we are still in the same scene from the last two episodes where Jesus is talking on the Mount of Olives or just as they're leaving the temple, as we'll hear at the very beginning of this scripture, where Jesus is talking about the end times and what that means to his followers and what that means to us today sort of thing. Uh, he's, he's more directly talking to four apostles in this one, uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. So this time... Mark actually recorded who Jesus was talking to directly. So we'll see exactly what, how Mark puts into terms the exact same things we covered in episode 26 or 25 or no, not 25. I keep backing up 24 where we were in Matthew 25. You got it. You got it. Matthew 25. Yeah. Awesome. There we go. I had to, had to dig in the old memory breaks there. So <laughs> if you'd be so kind to start us off with the reading. Yes, sir. And, and just for the record, audience, we do record this immediately after waking up as early <laughs> as, you know, 630 in the morning. So <laughs> bear with us. Alrighty. The first section, and it's just simply put for Mark 13. Uh, it, you know how you have those certain sections in the Bible and it breaks down yeah. certain verses, blah, blah, blah. And that breaks down certain verses. It breaks down a collection of verses and will tell you, you know, organizingly what the title card is for it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I got into that. 
But this section <laughs> is called The Destruction of the Temple and Signs of the End Times. Mark, verse, Mark 13, verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the, to the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. So, right here at the beginning, we see them talking about the temple again, which we talked a little bit about back in episode 24. And uh, we see, if for those of you who don't know exactly what the Temple Mount is, today there's just the foundations of that complex left, and they actually built the Dome of the Rock on it. So, this yes. complex is massive. If you think of some modern, like professional football stadiums that's roughly how big it is now it has a lot more like open space with the temple in the middle instead of like a football field so but there's this big complex where people come to worship god so this was a magnificent building it was uh, a modern or not a modern wonder an ancient wonder it'd be a modern wonder of the time Jesus, again, here we see Mark recording what Matthew recorded. Not one stone would be left. So he's talking about the prophecy in 70 AD when the temple will be broke down. And, you know, to this day, we still have not seen the temple rebuilt. So, yes. We and just for the, the record, um, yeah. Jesus wasn't always, I mean, if you take example, later on, when he is confronting uh I want to say it was somewhere in Rome. <laughs> anyway, when he confronts a Jewish temple, if you've known about the uh, the part where Jesus flips a table, actually multiple Yeah, tables. that's in Jerusalem. Yeah, it is in Jerusalem. Oh, that is Jerusalem? Okay. Yep. I was like, it's the very oh, temple we're talking about. The timeline is. Yes. So he didn't have a great appreciation for manly... Uh, you know, manly. I'm sure uh, Jesus was very manly, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> not not manly as in a strong man, as in humanly. <laughs> yes, humanly. Uh, humanly const constructs of what was dictated to be a method of worship or a method of congregation that would mean basically, you know, that... that Uniform mind. So uh -huh. he predicted the d destruction of, you know, the temple. The temple on the mount is not as great 
as you know it seems. So that's in- now he, he placed a prophecy himself on the destruction of this temple. Yeah, okay. yeah, he, that's what I thought. Was, yeah, he was talking about when the when the Rome would come through and destroy the temple in seventy AD. Now and he was also. Yeah, he was also kind of talking at the same time about his body being the temple and how he was going to be crucified very soon and then raised up in uh, three days. Uh, so we see the apostles closest to Jesus ask the question. As I said before, it was uh, oh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. These are... I think it's Peter, James, and John are the three like closest disciples to Jesus. It's kind of well agreed upon. And Andrew apparently was another one who was quite close. So why Mark tells us exactly it was these three, I'm not sure the significance of that. But we see that we can ask questions. From this, we can see that we can ask you know God questions about just about anything. Uh, we may not always get a straight answer, or the answer we're looking for, but we can definitely ask Christ to answer our questions. And of course, as we've talked about back in the Revelation series, we we have you know chaos and wars and all this crazy stuff going on. And while it may be birth pains, which you know, just my experience from our fourth child's you know pregnancy the birth pains can be greatly multiplied, especially when women have had multiple kids. Like my wife has had Braxton Hicks, which is a a practice contraction far longer than she had with any other pregnancies. So this, this chaos, this, the wars, the famine, the destruction that goes on today, the, the evil that we see today is just, Braxton Hicks pretty much because I mean we studied the end through our Revelation series go back and listen to that if you haven't yet and the things that are going on right now are mild compared to the things we expect to happen in the end times so like this is literally the chaos we see today the evil we see today is is basically practicing for the end times when the new world will be reborn when everything is wiped clean so can I amend one of my statements earlier when I said yeah. the thing about Rome? I actually was um, thinking about uh, uh, past Jesus's uh, physical lifetime when uh, when John, his apostle, is in yeah, Rome. When, yeah, okay. And uh, speaking of the disciples too, you said uh, you're not sure why these four specifically were in place to be next to Jesus, it, it was because yeah. you found it, it, during certain times during Jesus's life, when he did have disciples, he found that uh, he had not to say any of them were closer followers than the others, but those that had really allocated their time to full devotion and wanting to be close to Jesus himself, wanting to protect him. Uh, some things were said in confidence between this group that weren't necessarily said to all of the disciples so that yeah. word didn't get out. There was no panic. Uh, they also had, um, not to sound like too direct, but at the time, especially uh, women weren't as trusted as men are in society. And so there were some things in the group that acceptably, in a way, they didn't want the women panicking 
or the other disciples to know and inform some of the other followers or even Jesus himself if they need if they felt like they needed to take necessary precaution in order to protect Jesus. Jesus was very accepting to the masses, to the people, uh, obviously men or women. And they didn't want him to feel like they didn't want to get corrected for being protective over the Lord because there had mm-hmm. been a few times when the Lord just stepped out of his way and said, no, we're fine. No, I'll, I'll create a congregation here in the middle of the city, even though we have guards here that were after them. If you look at the miracle of the, of the paraplegic man that was lowered into the house where they all stayed mm-hmm. <laughs> earlier on. Anyway, most of these followings between the disciples and him, most importantly pertaining to your question are just the closest of bonds of these men to Jesus because of the way that they originally came into his lifetime. Yeah. And I've definitely seen that in scripture. There's three distinct groups of followers of Christ. There's the, 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 just the people who are there to hear what Jesus has to say and maybe get, you know, free food or he, you know, just to see what's going on. Then you have the 12 disciples who are closer and more trusted and they tend to get more of the direct teaching. They get more of the, the explanatory teachings where, you know, if they have questions they can ask and then Jesus will explain it to them. And then you have these three or four in this, this section where, these guys were the closest. These guys were studying under Jesus the hardest. They were, they were the the true believers. They were nah, maybe not true believers, but they were the ones who were truly devoted to this. And we'll see if you know the gospel story. Even one of these failed in Jesus's greatest time of need. You know, so yes, it's it's one of those things. I do see the hierarchy of followers. I just don't know why Mark decided to name these three specifically. Maybe he was upset that he wasn't. In- Included in one of these, you know, in this little as group, he's reading over because the, as we described. as we seen, uh, yeah, as we seen, Matthew didn't say, uh, he just said the disciples. He didn't say, you know, he didn't specifically say these three or four. So, yeah. undoubtedly, we, though, these four were not doubtless. Let's say that just closest. over time had not tried to or attempted to cast too much doubt into the Lord or question mm-hmm. him secondly. So that's why yeah. they're also named the apostles. They are those who are the most trustworthy, according to that word. Yeah. But uh, those who had put invested that most. Yep. Shall we continue at verse nine? Yes, sir. Verse nine, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must be first preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. So Jesus is, you know, saying further on here that kind of like we discussed in the parables that at any time we could possibly 
see the end, and we need to be ready to suffer for our faith, pretty much, as we see, you know, and we will we will stand in front of governors and kings as witness to them. You know, we, we must be, we must be taking out the gospel. So these sort of battles are already happening. We're, we're seeing that. And we've seen that over the last 2000 years since Jesus Christ's death, where we are trying to bring the gospel out to the world. And I mean, this is a spiritual battle as much as anything, because we see, Groups, you know, completely go off the deep end. We see cults form around this and stuff like that, that they just get hooked on something that slowly leads them away. Maybe at the beginning it was, it was, you know, just pitched fervor where they felt like this was uh, impressed passion on them. But as things, you know, get further from that initial event, they become more and more corrupt and we get these different groups that, can completely derail, like not saying that every denomination is wrong other than one, but these, when it goes beyond just a simple disagreement on minor doctrine and it starts turning into some cult of some sort or some, you know, military group, as we've seen during the crusades, you know, where they're, they're pitched by this religious fervor that isn't, really of God anymore. We see, we see this, the dark one, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him. We see him working in the followers of Christ sometimes and turning us away. Just even the slightest, like we we're talked about as arrows or especially kids are talked about as arrows and it doesn't take much to bump an arrow and then all of a sudden it's way off course. You know what I mean? Like I see that. Yeah. He, he does this, he does this little, this little like perversion or something like that, where he just, he slightly alters your course. And all of a sudden, once you're downrange, you'll find yourself way off mark. You know? Well, speaking of the crusaders, that's, <laughs> that's an interesting standpoint because, uh, there's a couple things with the first thing he said that had to pertain to, uh, with followers of Christ being, well, that essentially it is also talked about in the Bible that even the devil can be disguised as a follower of Christ. And wherever Christ is, you know, wherever the name of Christ is, names will follow, people will follow. I don't doubt that there was a a large, uh, you know, amassed amount of a lot of these men who did participate in the crusade truly believing that it was the Lord's will because yeah. of the way they were led, you know, uh, like yeah. a false shepherd, you know, mm-hmm. on opposite of, you know, what they needed to be the, the proper thing yeah. <laughs> because they only learned from those around them, probably not yeah. from the scripture itself. Yeah. And I, that, that example right there, the crusades is, is profound on this where they were, trying to bring glory to Christ. They were trying to bring, you know, Christ's word out to the world, but they were doing it by the sword. (laughs) They weren't doing it by the way we see the disciples do it right after Christ's death and resurrection. Mm -hmm. So we see it's just one little perversion on 
you know, what we're called to do. And all of a sudden, a hundred years, 200 years later, there's been a war that we were fighting in the name of God, quote unquote, that was not what God wanted us to do, you know? And Conquest. The people and, who did yeah. that. Yeah, the people who did that swear that's what God wanted them to do. And yeah, like you said, it could have been mostly the leaders that did that. Maybe don't blame the soldiers so much. We see that a lot today where, you know, sometimes the soldiers just following orders. But we definitely see where that, that just that little misdirection at wherever the person is aiming the arrow can end up with, you know, hundreds of thousands dead. <laughs> I mean, so. yeah, when you put it that way, <laughs> uh, we we could talk about this subject all day. Yeah, yeah. Um, conquest so. and bloodshed or war mm. are two of the four riders of the yeah. apocalypse. We talked about uh, we talked about earlier in Revelation. You mm. know, you got the Antichrist himself thrives on a horse of conquest, and he is the rider of conquest, right? Yeah, he's disguised as the Lord, and what he was there to do is primarily expand his horizons, but in the exact polar opposite method that yeah. you know Christ would approve of, the Holy Spirit would guide someone to do. Yeah. Now it's it's not to say that Christians should never go to war. I think there's a time and a place where Christians should fight. But it's more in the protection of innocent life and less about, you know, they don't believe in God, let's kill them sort of thing. Uh, well, but, I mean, such is such is the law. Yeah, we're not condemning anyone that would ever, yeah. that would, that was ever, or that would ever have to commit to that, you know, yeah. serving, serving for the Lord, uh, yeah. going to war. I mean, there's, there's always going to be gains and loss for, every individual on this planet. And I believe that applies to soldiers as well. Um, So this is a question you actually asked me the other day when I was dealing with something personally or you're trying to, trying to test my spirit and my mind. And you said, how do you know you're going the right way in a video game? The enemies get harder. Now, in contrast to what I just said about battle and whatnot, when, you and I are big gamers, but you know that the video game kind of gets boring or, or stalls out when you're fighting the same enemies over and over again. So typical game development is that as you get stronger, the enemies get stronger. And I mean, this is changing a lot with some of the open world games where, you know, enemies scale to you, but in classic gaming tradition you know you're going the right way you know you're going the way the creator wanted you to go when enemies progressively get stronger in in the direction that you're heading so as followers of christ we can see you know it may start out as just spirits that you know kind of try to lead us astray or put doubts in our mind and stuff like that. But as we follow Christ, as we do what Christ wants us to do, as we're called to do whatever your specific, you know, what that looks like in your life, it may turn from just, you know, spiritual doubts and temptations to people start getting in your way. And they say, maybe this is not the right thing to do. Or you get people who are 
commenting nasty things online about you and what you're trying to do. And the enemies get stronger. So the more resistance you start seeing in the world, the more resistance you start seeing as you try and carry out God's will. Now, not to say you can't be totally wrong on this, but like in general, the more resistance you get, you know, you're carrying out God's will because the devil, Satan, whoever you want to call him is starting to ratchet up his opposition to you. Yeah. Very well put. And yeah, I mean, and like we said, like we were just reading too, in verse 12 is that, you know, brother or sister will betray brother or sister. I'll say to death. And you see, are these people necessarily your enemies? I mean, not always, but you'll Mm -hmm. find that your enemy starts investing himself into, you know, as close uh, however he can. And that's yeah. our main way of driving the video game analogy is like <laughs> yeah. life is going to get more difficult. And as you progress, as you train up, as you become stronger, even spiritually, uh-huh. uh, Lord will provide a way, you know, stay yeah. faithful. Yeah. And th- this is why it's so important that we surround ourselves with, you know, other followers so that they're aware of those forces that are aware of that, that progression, whereas you're trying to do what God wants you to do, they can realize that maybe they're being tempted or, or prompted by evil forces that may be trying to derail you. So this, this is why it's hard to stay faithful to Christ in a, in a very secular group. Like, no, not saying don't go out to people who don't believe. I'm saying don't surround yourself with people who don't believe. So have have an inner circle of followers who can fellowship with you and, and understand what you're struggling with. I mean, yes, to each is their own with that. It depends on what your calling is and yeah. what the Lord calls you to. That doesn't mean like a completely avoid anyone who doesn't believe. Uh, though I, I guess in a personal, if you're trying to preserve yourself, if you're really trying to get yourself up, up off the ground, or the Lord is helping you get up off the ground, and He's introducing you to more people that are in your similar situation, or yeah. so on and so forth, someone that's not going to tempt you and sway you, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Shall we continue on in verse fourteen? Yes, sir. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it would be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord has not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you ahead uh, everything ahead of time. Okay, can I say something first? Yeah. 
if you're ever looking for a good verse or a, like the most original perfect argument as to why someone would say uh, politics I can't attract myself to politics because it just seems all bad well I mean even the elect here we're talking like for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive so if possible even the elect basically meaning obviously false messiahs and false prophets aren't all politicians and <laughs> they all are there to deceive that's really hard to say um you still have those among the elected, those who are, you know, bestowed, so to speak, the power to rule, to be very, you know, to be what, however you deem a false messiah and a false prophet, a bad person, right? Yeah. So be yeah. on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. The Lord's literally cutting out here right now what exactly that would mean for you. Um, um. Politics wise, we got to start using this one. Is basically my point, uh, Justin, because yeah. <laughs> we'll just have to refer to it anytime we hear anything that's just politically obscene. Yeah, we we see that. Um, I think there could be some good people still in in politics, and maybe there's some people who are actually trying to work for the Lord. But I, I definitely see that whatever's like. I, I heard this new this new uh it was not, not a new person it's not a new theory it's just new to me uh where i've always thought that culture is down or upstream of the rest of the world uh so we should be focused on changing the culture around us if we want to see a change in the leadership and people have actually posed to me now that maybe it's the institutions that change the culture and then the culture changes the politics. I, I see this kind of back and forth here all of a sudden. And uh, so it's it's the institutions where we get trained, where we get – because it used to all be in the house. Like, like you're, you're correct. If culture is upstream of politics back in the times when there wasn't these institutions of higher learning, there wasn't public schools, yeah, it was pretty much – from the people and then, or it was the kingship or whatever that was doing it. So like in America, it's a government of the people. So back when we didn't have these institutions of influence, yes, you could change the culture down here in your local setting and it could possibly spread up to the government. But now we have these institutions that are in the way of that. They train our children. They train our young people. They train everyone in the way they think, in the way they should think. So we have this this section here who now is controlling most of what the population thinks. Mm, Not just controlling. Yeah, Yeah. you make a really good point. I was just thinking because these systems are also designed with the best of intentions, yeah. so to speak, to accommodate yeah. and invest in the future generations. Right. It's just downstream or it, in whichever body of water, water it's got to cycle through that it, it can become a little bit colluded. It's, it's, yeah, and it literally goes back to what we were talking about in the last section. It's, it's the dark one just perverting one little thing at the very beginning of that. And all of a sudden, right. look at what we're, where we are now. You know, we have instead of institutions of higher learning where they're worried about teaching people how to think, where they're 
teaching people how to, you know, live their lives to their fullest. They're now teaching people how to pronounce people correctly and, you know, stuff like that. Again, it's, it's all just a slight perversion of a good thing. All of a sudden, years later, it becomes this massive conglomerate of, you know, we all think the same, we all look different, but we must think the same kind of, you know, mentality. That's just honestly insane in my opinion, but for me, oh it's my. like, yeah, well, yeah. Who are you? <laughs> who are you, Justin? Um, <laughs> for me, it's like, if the Lord and God's power is infinitely powerful to the point where sin itself is practically this speck of dust, uh-huh. you know, out of an entire infinite universe uh, of potential. And with the way that we experience sin in this lifetime, you gotta, you just, you gotta be able to gauge for how much more powerful God is in that situation. If you think that sin is powerful to the point where it can influence you that greatly, just remember that God is all that much more powerful and he'll always take you in a better direction. I mean, uh, whether it's for your future generations, for education, there's always an option because the yeah. uh, Lord provides. Absolutely. Um, yeah. We should probably get on, back on subject, though. <laughs> Tangents. Tangents. I love Anyways. it. <laughs> so we he's literally talking... won't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's talking about the abomination, which we did a pretty much a whole episode on. Uh, it's that idol that gets placed in the temple that or or it could be a theory it could be some idea it could be some it could be something like communism or you know uh secretarialism or scientism or something it could be anything it doesn't have to be like a physical idol well he said it yeah and anyways we see this abomination placed in the temple and as i've studied daniel and as we'll get to when we do our daniel section I found out that this abomination doesn't show up until about halfway through the final seven years of tribulation. So as I've said before, this is the only sign that we're in the end times that is like a true end time sign. And it doesn't come until we're literally in the thick of the end. So well could be a predecessor, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's you. You might be able to see like the the inklings of what the abomination is, but the end times will have started. It would have been going on for three and a half years at the time that the Antichrist puts the abomination on the the throne on the altar for everyone to worship. So, uh, right, it's too late when you see the abomination pretty much repent <laughs> that would be sort yeah that would be literally uh whether it, it happens to be exactly three and a half years on the dime at the very second yeah, very minute yeah. uh we've we've joked around about how like you know how certain time frames might not be always perfect but yeah yeah that would be a literal thing that will happen and that's something that you would definitely want to repent by that point because you're like, yeah. I don't know if I still want to be here. This is kind of weird. If it feels mm-hmm. weird, you get out of there. And you yeah. Yeah. And like it says, flee to the hills. Um, but we'll go over more in detail on what the abomination is and in that seven years of tribulation when we get to Daniel 9. Because right. that's a, that's the prophet, prophetic text that speaks of the final years of, 
uh, seven years of tribulation. Right. But we did we did do a little bit of tribulation back when we were in Revelation. I just don't remember exactly where it was. I'm pretty sure it was right after the churches. So uh, it was yeah. it was right after the yeah. churches. You're right yeah. because we get the churches, the fair warning to the churches, and then yeah. we get the rapture itself, then tribulation. Alrighty, shall so, we continue on at twenty four? Yes, at twenty four. But in those days, following the distress, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So, Chris, do you know why fig trees and, and figs are so important in in the biblical times? I mean... Uh, based off of what I've even known to the state is, um, even in modern date. Israel, fig trees are still represented and fig tree branches even are still used in traditions all the time because of its, mm-hmm. uh, because of its significance. Although if you want to break down the actual reasons as to why they're using fig trees all the time, it's probably because, uh, they would stand the heat. Yes. Yes. The, it's they a hardy water. fruit tree. Yeah. Yes. But they yeah, can withstand you, the heat. Yeah, Israel is is not like a desert, but it is a very arid and dry climate and very warm. So, figs is this. If you ever had a fig, it's a very dense fruit. It's it's very. got very thick fibers in it. So it's it's definitely set up to survive that kind of tough climate. So we see it's kind of like. Uh, a good source of, of nutrition in, in this tough climate. So a lot of the times they use fig trees because they seem very, it, it is a great representation of us and what we can do. And there's times when these fig trees, you know, they get sick. They, they don't bear good fruit. They don't, you know, it's very, very good chance for us to be compared to this this fig tree and of course in their time in their culture fig trees were you know more synchronous to their lives it's just like how we see it yeah it was very relevant and we it's just how we see a lot of talk about you know agriculture in the bible is because most people were farmers at this time so they could understand these these ideas where Today, you know, two percent of Americans are farmers. One of them being me. So, you know, it's it's not as easy for us to always understand what the Bible's talking about because we're not in that same context. So, fig trees are really important. They're a great, you know, representation of how humanity is. And then in this case, we're seeing, you know, Jesus saying, you know, when spring is coming, you know, when summer's coming because the tender 
buds on the fig tree are coming out just so you know that the end times is coming, that the, the kingdom is coming. And I, I think in this case, he's talking more about his death and resurrection where the kingdom of heaven is about to start working on the earth. Whereas up to this time before Christ, there was a strict separation between heaven and earth. And there was a lot of, you know, altars and, and ritual and sacrifice that was meant to bridge that gap that you had to cleanse yourself to be, to bridge the gap between heaven and earth. And with Jesus, he's that final great sacrifice that can cover all the sins that can bridge the gap that can bring down the temple that can bring the temple to us. And we see that is what he's talking about is at hand. That is, that is we, the spring is, is coming. That is the, the new kingdom is coming sort of thing. This new covenant is being made. Uh, right. So we're probably, more like a church than yeah. the temple. But then again, yes. the temple is the body. We yeah. got to deal with all the terms here. <laughs> yeah. So definitely that's, I, I think that's where Jesus is trying to, to say is that a new thing is starting and you're going to be witness to it. And we're still, you know, witness to it today, 2000 years later of how Jesus has bridged that gap. And someday, as we've talked about in the revelation series, that gap will be erased that the two, the heaven and earth will be combined and remade. Amen. Yeah. You got anything to add to that, or can we do our last section since we're running? That was along? very well put. I am in astonishment. Yes. <laughs> That's why I know the Lord myself. is present. Is I'm astonished. Yeah. Right. I Alrighty. definitely felt that. Verse thirty-two. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells no one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone watch yeah so one quick correction he tells the one at the door to keep watch not no one uh, so we see right here at the beginning in verse 32 where it says no one knows and some people try and use this as a defeater to jesus's uh, uh divinity because they say mm -hmm. not the son the son doesn't even know he's talking about in his limited physical presence right now. Jesus is deciding not to know that information because Jesus doesn't like to lie. So not well, saying he couldn't, he couldn't like talk around the question, but he definitely doesn't have to know this information right now. So which in he, respect could also be the father basically um, because he's given him this life also that the son doesn't truly know that part quite yet. If, yeah. you, if you if you skip a little bit further to when Judas has forsaken him and the Lord is about to be arrested in yeah. 
he's crying out to the Lord, why is he, why shall he be forsaken and such? You start yeah. to get a little bit more of a humanly perspective. This is way down the road, though. Yeah. Uh, of certain that that limitation, basically, the Lord has had. He's yeah. ever present. He's ever powerful. He will always be in the flesh and spirit to all of us. Don't get me wrong, though. If he is also a, a if he's also, you know created equally by human as he has been by God. You yeah. see some of these things, some of these reoccurring themes that, you know, he's just as human as he is the son of God yeah. in this, yeah. in this state and form, right? Yeah. He's ever present and he is equally powerful to God. Now, in a way, if you talk about uh-huh. the Trinity, father, son, yeah. Holy spirit, they're equally powerful and it's one uh-huh. being, but yes. Yeah. As far as I, I've understood it is that, Jesus in physical form, he cordoned off all of his, you know, divinity and then accessed it as he needed to, as, as the father wanted him to use that. So this was something that the fire the father was like, you don't need to know this. You don't need to tell them this. So you don't get to know this as your physical incarnation. Now I would guarantee you that the son knows when the end time is, when that, that final, bell strikes you know he knows that now but in this time right now in the narrative he does not know that because god does not want that information out there because as as he made things you know just just undiscernible enough that satan didn't realize that crucifying jesus was going to undo everything he was trying to do he does not want to put in the end date so that Satan couldn't, you know, try frustrating that. Not saying Satan could, he's not powerful enough, but he's not going to let him have that satisfaction sort of thing. So from this last section, I mean, that's, that's an interesting point too. The Lord was not limited by, you know, the devil himself, or I even would speculate, you know, sin at any point. It was more of, you know, so that, you know, his salvation to the world would be one of a human, that would know the pain of the world, etc. There's a lot of speculation debate about that. Oh, yeah. As far as we yeah. know, though, he is the Lord is always going to be stronger than sin. Yeah, I believe even yeah. in his lifetime, he was still stronger than sin itself. Yeah, yeah, and he can return at any moment. And as I said, I think it was last episode, we could we could end up in the presence of God at any moment. So. We need to uh, act like that. We need to act like the end could happen any second. We live like we could die and be at the throne of God at any moment. We are called to love and don't don't be found wanting. You know, it's this this ever present. It's it's turning that dread that we started this podcast over to something good. We were. It always feels like the end is here. It always feels like the end of the world. There's always something new that's going on that's going to be the end. The end is nigh sort of feeling. It's turning that from dread, from you know depression, and making that the fire that lights you up, that drives you out there and, and helps you fulfill what God wants you to fulfill to help bring about his plans. You know, yeah. If the Lord is ever present, uh, for me, 
uh, if, if I have to say anything about more specifically with like depression, I felt like his voice was always there. And all uh -huh. it took was, you know, for me to open my ears. I was like, wow, now this is a feeling of me not fulfilling myself to the Lord. And then once I was able to fully comprehend that, open my ears to the Lord, that helped, you know, cause a revelation to me. Um, enough about me, though, for the meantime. Thank you, Jesus. Um, <laughs> I think it's my turn to sign off before we do our takeaway of the day. So thank you so much, JD or Justin. You're going by Justin now. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And I, I kind of already said the takeaway that that last section was kind of already on. Well, we are called so. that we love. Oh, okay. Yeah. It almost sounded like yeah. you just rolled it off of that last point. I loved it. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I just, I, I felt like it needed to be bigger than that. I kind of just jotted that down this morning. So I expanded that, but I, wanted to let you get in anything else you had. So uh, thank you for listening to our rambling. <laughs> thank you for listening to the rambling on demand. Yeah. Right. Thank you for listening to revelation on demand podcast. Please like share and subscribe wherever you catch podcasts from, please. If you like what we're doing here, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. This is a completely private venture and we receive no funding from any sources. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact us at revelationondemand at gmail.com. God bless, and see you next time.